You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, what are you doing? Sitting behind your desk? Traveling in your boring commute? Guess where my friends are right now? Bali. Guess where I'm going on Sunday? Peru. Machu Picchu. Not trying to brag, but if you need new friends, come check out Under 30 Experiences, our travel community for young people. If you were tired of waiting for your, your friends to do something awesome, come and make some new friends. We go to Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Belize, Iceland, Bali, Machu Picchu, Rio de Janeiro, Ireland, all over the world. Come check us out. And we have a very special offer today for anyone who mentions the Live Different podcast with Under 30 Experiences. You'll receive $100 off your booking. So go and check out Under30Experiences.com today. Hello, everybody. Today on the Live Different Podcast, we have Becky Straw, the co-founder and CEO of The Adventure Project. And Becky, with a name like that, uh, I thought, okay, this is definitely someone who I have to meet. And uh, that's pretty much how it happened a few years ago when we did meet in the the Wix Lounge. It was a free co-working space, or it was a free co-working space in uh, in New York in the Flatiron District. You re- you remember that, Becky? I remember that very well. Yes. <laughs> and and you were you were hustling at the time. You had somebody. Uh, it was like a a new intern or, or somebody who might still be on your team, and they were sleeping on your couch, or you were sleeping on the same couch together, or <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, you guys were you guys were there with a huge goal of eradicating poverty, and uh, or at least helping the, the situation, and I, I thought, okay, they call themselves the Adventure Project, they sleep on couches, and they have a huge goal. That is someone who I need to go over and talk to. Well, <laughs> thank you. I think if I remember correctly, um, my intern at the time was a very pretty girl, so that might have helped um, you uh, come up to us and start chatting. Well, <laughs> probably, uh, probably guilty as charged there, Becky. But uh, I feel like that might have been, um, yeah, a good move on our part. Was just have really um, attractive, beautiful people helping us. It, it attracts other people to our cause. But <laughs> well, well, yes, that's, that's the good news. Is, uh, that's so funny. I did not remember that at all. But uh, yeah, probably sounds, sounds about right. But the, um, advent- yeah, the Adventure Project, that's the, cool, that's the cool part, is here we are. You are still, you're still going after um, helping people with, with drinking water and sanitation and hygiene um, all over the world. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think it's been about three or four years since I, you know, first saw you at Wix and um, we were just, you know, working off of a free office space. And also, yeah, at the time I was sleeping on friends' couches. So not with an intern, that would be a little bit strange. <laughs> that might be over the top, but, um, but yeah, I definitely had, put all of my stuff in storage and pretty much just committed to living off friends' couches and the kindness of others for about uh, nine or 10 months, I think. Um, just, you know, mainly to give myself the financial, um, ease of being able to focus solely on the project. Um, you know, because we're a nonprofit, we, you know, don't have investors per se, or, you know, access to VC seed funding, that sort of thing. So we just really bootstrapped our way to where we are today. Um, 
you know, and, and, but we do, yeah, we have this huge vision, but, um, you know, I think we're really, we're really passionate about seeing that vision, um, become realized. And we're really passionate about getting, um, and anyone and everyone involved with our movement. Um, and our movement is, is really just focused on this idea and this belief that what people want most in the, in the world, um, whether they're, they're born into poverty in a slum in Kenya, or, you know, they live, like I was born in a beautiful suburban community in California, you know, everyone just wants this opportunity to work and this opportunity to care for their family, send their kids to school and just wake up with a passion, um, to do something that impacts the world. So we focus on creating jobs, um, in developing countries, mainly Kenya, India, Uganda, and Haiti that benefit local communities. So we provide the tools, the training, the resources for, um, people who are, you know, living in poverty to gain these job skills that end up benefiting the local communities, such as um, training people to be well, water well mechanics so that they can keep wells working in their villages, to healthcare workers so that they can, you know, care for pregnant moms and, and babies in their, their communities. So it's been a really um, fun and exciting and, and just such an impactful four years for, for us. And since I saw you at that table <laughs> and, um, and we're, we're excited to just keep growing. That's awesome. Um, and you, you and your co-founder Jody, you guys went on a trip to West Africa and, uh, came back and, and had a huge inspiration to do this or, or, or did this happen? Um, Maybe in Haiti, or could you could you tell you've you've traveled uh, pretty extensively? It sounds like could you tell kind of the what was that moment when you just said, okay, this is something that I need to do? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it was a season of moments. I think um, you know, for me, I was working at a, an organization at, at Charity Water, um, which is a nonprofit. A large organization now. At the time when I started, I was the third employee and was so blessed to just have this experience of um, my role was focused on just going and traveling to some of the most desperate places in the world and helping them figure out how to bring clean water into those communities. Um, you know, and, and I think we learned a lot. And, and one of the things that stuck with me was it was twofold, was that um, First of all, um, everyone, you know, kept coming up to me and there'd always be one guy or, or woman who was brave enough to come up to me every trip I was on and say, we're so appreciative of this well, but I'm wondering if you're hiring. Um, you know, I really want to work. I'm able to do anything. Do you know of any jobs? I really, you know, X, Y, Z, I want to send my kids to school. I have a sick parent. I have, you know, no food for my family, but I know if I have a job, I can take care of myself. Um, so that, you know, that kept hitting me over the head. Um, and then combined with the fact that, you know, in Africa right now, 36% of all wells are broken, but they're broken because there's no spare parts, no tools, and no trained mechanics who know how to fix them. So we have this dichotomy where there's people who are longing to work and um, desperate to try and figure out how to care for their families uh, with dignity. And, um, you know, this reality that people um, have great, amazing intentions to keep digging wells and drilling wells, but we're not giving people the opportunity to, to learn how to care for those services and to build a, a business and an um, economic driver to keep those wells working. So that, that was the impetus. Um, 
I had met Jody in my co-founder in Liberia. I was often charged with taking some of our bigger donors into the field to show them the impact of their work. Um, and Jody was a huge fundraiser for us. She's a mom with six kids, which is incredible to think about in her in the own right, you know, but that she was just this amazing, beautiful storyteller that rallied her community in Iowa to, to care about, um, a, you know, a community in Liberia. And so that's a, such a beautiful thing. And she, we had long car rides of talks about, you know, it's, it's not about me getting credit for these wells or putting my name on these wells. I just really want to know that I'm helping people. And so that in itself was beautiful. And, and we became good friends as, um, you know, an unlikely friendship, <laughs> being a single woman in New York City that's bouncing around developing countries. And then here's this, you know, beautiful, incredible mom in Iowa raising six children. And, um, you know, we developed this bond around, you know, what if the world took notice of, of what was really impactful and, and really changing people's lives in developing countries? And what if we all stood up and said, you know, this is what people really want. Let's let's give them what they need so that they can, you know, be empowered and, and we can lift people out of poverty faster and more efficiently. Wow, that's that's so cool and obviously a really a really meaningful cause. Um, I, I'm wondering because I I struggle with this by myself as well, and I, I've given a lot of thought to it. What do you say when people come to you and say, well? you know, this is great that you're going to Africa, but guess what? In New York City and also in Iowa, there are a lot of poor people who need help there. What do you, what, what do you say to those people? Or, or I'm sure this is a thought that crosses your mind as well. Um, and at the end of the day, we're all, pe you know, we're all people. It doesn't matter. These, these borders that we've drawn mm -hmm. up are completely irrelevant. You know, they're just lines in the just lines in the sand, and it doesn't, you know, the person hungry in Africa is the same to me as the person hungry in New York, so it doesn't matter to me, but, what, yeah, what do you think about that, because I, I struggle with this as well. Oh, gosh, you know, and, and to be honest, I do too, it is, you know, we have one in four children in the U.S. right now are hungry, and that that's such a tragedy in its own right. We should be the the richest country in the world, you know. So I completely empathize. I think you know how can we, you know, it is very hard for me to stay focused. Um, at the same time, you know, um, for example, being in you know I was in one village in Liberia up north where we ran into a woman uh, who was carrying her child and she'd come from Guinea and she'd walked for three days in search of medical care for her daughter and um, the baby ended up dying. And so I just think, gosh, you know, I understand that there's so many needs here in the U.S., but there's nowhere in the U.S. where somebody would walk for three days in search of trying to find someone to help save her baby and not be able to walk into an ER, you know, and, and get she died of malnutrition, right? She did, she died of, um, you know, being dehydrated. And so, um, as a humanitarian, as someone who just believes in the dignity of all people, that's, that's something that I feel like that's a preventable, you know, situation. That's something that we can fix and we have a right to fix that. Um, and we have an obligation to fix that because, um, we're all human beings. So, so that, that's where my heart lies, um, is just trying to figure out, 
you know, there are so many people in this world who will wake up this morning and won't make it through the day because of something that could cure them. And it costs less than a dollar to save their lives. And we just aren't doing it. Wow. That's, that's really amazing. Um, we, we go to Nicaragua on uh, mm-hmm. one of our under 30 experiences trips, and it's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere next to Haiti. Uh, I have not been to Haiti, um, but I've spent quite a bit of time in Nicaragua and, and throughout Central America. And um, you're right, just the basics that people just don't have those opportunities elsewhere and even in the United States, even though there's always, you know, there's always going to be a bottom percentile. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't know. Uh, I want to explain that. I want to explain this correctly. But there's right. always going to be a bottom 10 percent. It might. We might raise that bottom 10 percent, and I hope that we do. But there are opportunities for medical care and for education in these types of things in the United States that are accessible to anyone. They're not all fair. They're not all. Uh, just yeah. yeah they're not all just and and I completely hear that but yeah something like in Nicaragua where we go to you know we go to a school where they didn't have what you know they didn't have water at their school and so they had to shut down the school for weeks if not months and the kids were no longer getting an education in this in this rural part um, of the world where, yeah, they're just not getting an education because mm-hmm. they don't have water, and that just doesn't make sense. Um, I wanted to ask you how you how do you assess where you can put your efforts? Um, because yeah, like you said, you have to you have to focus, and it's easy to see all of the problems in the world and look everywhere and say, oh my God, I need to try to do everything. But how do you focus? How do you how do you pick your battles here? Yeah, that's a really good question, I think, because there's so much, and I think you bring up an incredibly important point, and that's that poverty is complex. I think we all get told, um, perhaps wrongly so, that, you know, you just need to fix this one problem, or here's, here's the issue, kids, you know, just need clean water, and then they can go to school, but that's, that's just, that's not true. There's so many interconnected, um, intrinsic issues that layer um, on the complexities of poverty. So it is, it's very, um, difficult to just say, well, this one issue is causing all of these problems. And really what you see is in actuality is that you you need holistic change, right? You need a lot of different things at different times to help lift people out of poverty. Um, so we, our organization is focused on four. We focused on looking at, you know, the environment, health, hunger, and, and water, and said um, through the prism of those four levels, how can we impact the most number of people in a positive direction? So um, in looking at those schematics, we've really, you know, said, okay, well, you know, what is killing the most children under five years old, um, and how do we prevent those deaths? So, you know, water is a huge one, for example, but we know that, you know, 36% of all wells are actually broken. So, you know, basically we've given, of everyone we've given water to, um, you know, now today, right now, 36% of them have watched their well break. So let's just get those wells working again. That's something that we feel is is cost-effective, efficient, and can empower communities. So, um, 
we are really trying to tackle these issues in a holistic way, but most importantly, have a very um, business-minded strategy to do so. So not only lifting people out of poverty, but how do we sustain that long-term? So um, when we look through um, who we fund and how we fund our work, we're really looking at how can we empower local partners who are doing incredible work on the ground, but they're lacking that capacity to scale? And how can we give them the resources and the tools, the energy to help them be at their best every day? Hmm. I, I like how you said who are lacking the capacity to scale. That's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's important because, because you... Because this is such a complex system, and I like, I like how you look at, you know, you use the word holistically as looking at everything as a whole, and then you break down the four different things that you think that everything falls under. Well, then how can you create a system that is scalable um, to be able to address these issues? And then you say, okay, if it works here, it can work in our backyard. And, and sure, the problems are different, but it can work in other countries or other villages or other places. Is this mm -hmm. something that you, you picked up with, with Charity Water? Because for, if anybody doesn't know, um, you know, about Charity Water, they're an amazing organization and that you were the third employee is, is a really big deal um, or at least an amazing <laughs> opportunity to be able to have seen, seen that growth. Uh, is this something that you picked up there or can you, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know more about your yeah. work with Charity Water. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess I was, in, you're right. I was incredibly lucky to be there at the right time. I had just graduated um, from my master's degree. I had been focusing on water and sanitation at UNICEF and was just incredibly lucky to be connected to Scott when he was uh, launching Charity Water and, and just basically volunteered off his couch and said, I'm willing to help you out. My parents were so proud that I um, got my graduate degree at Columbia and then went and moved on onto some guy's couch in Soho to work for him for free. Um, uh, but it, it worked, it worked out. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing that they've really more than anything I learned at charity water was the power of people and motivating people to tell them that positive change exists and you can be part of that solution. So having a bold, audacious vision isn't crazy. It's necessary. And I think if more people acted that way, we can get a lot more done in the world together. So bold and audacious is is obviously you have you have done that, and I'm I'm sure if I asked you, you would say that you're just getting started on this <laughs> on this adventure. You've hired 789 people, at least this is what it said mm -hmm. uh, on your website. 789 people who are trying to make the world a better place. Um, it, yeah, can you talk about a little bit more how the organization works and what these 789 people do? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's we've empowered people with the skills and tools and resources so that they can take care of their community. So I said, like, help, they've become well mechanics, some are healthcare workers, some are farmers who are um, growing and selling, you know, increasing their crop yield 500%. Um, by gaining, helping them gain access to irrigation. So, um, and some are, are making and selling fuel-efficient stoves, um, which is a huge area of need um, for people in developing countries. If, if anyone wants to go um, check out clean cook stoves, um, it's an incredibly important necessity for, for billions of people. 
Um, so those, you know, those 789 people, they're all, um, you know, they woke up this morning, they went to work, they're serving an estimated million people per day with their services. So that's, what's really impactful for us is that we're tracking their impact and how they're helping their communities, who they're reaching, how they're targeting people. And, um, they're mainly, you know, like, as I said, working in India, Haiti, Kenya, and Uganda, and we're, we're trying to really dive deep in those countries, but then also expand as, as the organ, local organizations expand. So it's been a, a really fun multiplier effect. Um, a lot of people join theventureproject.org by helping to create one job. Um, we're big on, on feeling like you don't need to be Bill Gates to fund the right work. Um, you know, you can give $30 a month and that's providing one year, you know, for one year you're providing a, a year of job training to help that person become an entrepreneur. Um, and then, you know, that person is earning commission from their sales because they're, you know, fixing the wells or they're, um, selling produce in their local market and, um, and they're, they're a profitable, self-sustaining entrepreneur, which is really exciting to see. And, and most importantly, really empowering to see it is, is so much fun to be able to go back and meet some of these people who are now working and watching um, them send their kids to school and just hearing what they've been able to do now that they have access to income. Damn. And can you, that's, it's really amazing. Um, of course, I like what you said about anybody can help make a difference. And um, can you talk a little bit more about how you guys fundraise and also, you know, because I'm sure you do some, you go around and look for big picture, you know, big money. You also put on these galas and, and that kind of thing. And then also you're, you know, looking for donations on the adventureproject.org and, you know, it says right on the site that $30 uh, gives one month of job training and, you know, that kind of thing. Then those people start to start to work and they put money back into their own economies when they have to go and buy food and whatever else they mm -hmm. need. Um, so, can yeah, can you talk a little bit more about um, about how that works with the fundraising aspect? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think for, from our perspective, we've really tried to focus on how do we build a movement and how do we really show people that there is positive change happening and that you can be part of it. And it's not that hard. Um, it is so much fun. Um, and it's incredible to be able to impact somebody's life um, for a dollar a day, right? That's And so um, we've really focused hard on, on that. I think um, we've... The majority of our donations are small gifts. I want to say 90% of our, our donations come in the form of, of somebody giving less than $100. Um, so we raise a lot of money through grassroots giving. Um, we have also been really lucky to be part of an incubator this year called B-Space, which has given us seed funding of you know $50,000, but also a home for the last two years. So we're in, incubated in New York City. And so that keeps our overhead low, um, just being able to have access to office space and resources and all of that stuff to help us scale. Um, they're uh, B-Space NYC. If anyone's looking or interested in, in what they're doing, they're trying to basically bring the Y Combinator slash tech fund model to the nonprofit space and say, who are the next change makers and how can we help them scale? And so that's been really incredible for us. And then um, we did receive another grant by winning the Diane von Furstenberg Award last month um, for um, the People's Voice Award, which is, is such an honor for us to be able to 
to get um, some funding, but also some awareness and recognition from um, a person and an entrepreneur as um, incredible as, as Diane von Furstenberg is. Damn, that's uh, that's amazing. Um, and I'll li- uh, and congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and, and we'll link up on under thirty CEO the show notes. Um, for B-Space and your clean cook stoves and um, all, all the different projects that, that you guys are, are working on. We'll link up, you know, some resources for that. And I wanted to ask, your, so your grassroots funding, what, what exactly does that mean? Like where, where do people learn about you? Um, and then how do you, what's that point where they say, okay, I need to get involved because mm-hmm. we've, we've seen, we've, we grew up with these commercials of, you know, kids with cleft lips or, or these commercials where it's, where they do say, Hey, $30 a, a month can, uh, do X, Y, and Z for someone in, Af- in Africa. And, you know, we have that idea in our heads, but what makes people actually, um, make that leap into opening up their, uh, opening up their wallets. Yeah, that's a really great, that's what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> no, um, yeah. but, um, you know, I think we're constantly, we're constantly working on that as, as how do we connect people in a more impactful way and really, um, engage them with what we're doing. I think what you say is so right. It's like, well, we've actually taken a very different stance where we're saying we're not putting pictures of, of poverty, you know, in quotes on our, on our website, we're, we're telling you in powerful, powerful and beautiful photos of people who are empowered because of your gifts. So we're really focused on sharing photos and stories of people who've come out of poverty and trying to change how um, people in emerging markets are perceived in, in the developed world um, and instead showing them as people just like you and I, they just need that opportunity that you and I have been blessed with. And so um, trying to make the connection between somebody um, in a developing country and saying they are exactly like you, but they just need that chance and you have the power to give that chance to them. Um, You know, speaking for myself, like I would never be one that would want charity um, bestowed upon me and aid and handouts. I'm much more inclined to be... um, stick to itness and, and get it done and work hard to make it happen. That's, that's more my mindset. And that's, that's more of most people's mindset is, um, you know, there's a really interesting poll that, uh, early findings have just come out. The Gallup poll is doing this global world poll where they're, they're going into over 170 countries. It's the most audacious poll ever to date. And they're asking, um, 170 questions, you know, for 10 years, they're, they're tracking in 170 countries. What is your glo- What is your great dream? And so they've released early findings saying, we have found out that most everyone is saying the same answer. And the same answer when they ask people, what is your great dream? Is that they wish for a good job. Wow. And so that resonates, you know, that, that just proves that like, Gosh, that is so true. It's so true. That's what all of us, you know, in the U.S. want too. We all talk to our kids every day about what do you want to be when you grow up. And there's so many kids in developing countries who don't get asked that question because they're just struggling to survive. Damn, but, you know, that's for their a great dream. Job. Yeah. Yeah, and you said in the beginning that all these people are looking for the opportunity to work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's it's. They just need that opportunity, and then 
they're thriving, you know, and they're working hard and they're waking up every day and they have dignity and there's just such grace and, um, such, you know, people can just breathe easier when you're, you know, that you have money coming in and that you can, you know, feed your kids that day. Mm-hmm. So, so it, from our perspective to you know, just reiterate, it's like really trying to make that connection to, to ordinary people, ordinary Americans and telling as many people as possible and as many beautiful stories as possible and work with media partners like you. And, um, you know, we've been lucky enough to be featured on Upworthy and, and Marie Claire and some other publications that have spread the word about what we're doing. No, that's, that's so important. And uh, what you said about just, again, giving people the opportunity to work and uh, showing uplifting photos of, of these people smiling and these people uh, really being appreciative and grateful for what they have is mm-hmm. something that we can then connect on with these people because, you know, you, it's very important that we don't go to these places and make a spectacle out of things and, um, and make a spectacle out of things. And yes, we should all be real about what the conditions are. Um, but you know, it's not, some people want to go to a place like Africa and think they're at the, you know, think they're on a safari and Mm -hmm. start snapping pictures of, of, people and putting their cameras in the face. No, I mean, we, we're very, we're extremely careful about this with under 30 experiences because we want to create a cultural exchange and then mm-hmm. we're able to, to do that. And then we learn about them. They learn about us. Value is, is, um, value goes both ways. And then we start to learn about the opportunities between us and we start to you know, meet leaders in the community and figure out what these people want. What was, uh, tell me about the Gallup. Um, it, is that out yet? The, the Gallup, um, yeah, study? I'll send you, I'll send you the link. It's called, I think it's called the great global dream. It's a, it started as just like a blog post where they were, um, they basically released recent findings cause they said it was so overwhelming that the answer to this question was all the same. <laughs> And so they said no matter where we went, people were answering it the same way, which has a profound impact on how we shape our global world. Jan, that's, um, yeah, I, and we'll link that up in the, the show notes on Under 30 CEO. I, I wanted to ask you, Becky, um, for, so from your travels, and you said you grew up in a nice suburban neighborhood in California, and then you went to Columbia at Columbia Mm -hmm. University and um, then started working, uh, working in Soho with Scott, the the founder of uh, Charity Water, where, you know, did, were you just always uh, socially conscious and wanted, you know, did you always have this in mind for yourself or did you go anywhere and travel and say, whoa, I saw so much stuff that I really feel like I want to make an impact. I'm, I'm curious as to your personal development. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't think it was like an overnight, um, whoa moment. It was more of just like a series of moments as I, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I was a swimmer. Um, I, I was so, I am so blessed with, um, how I grew up and, and what I have even now. But, um, you know, I just had this, this, life of privilege, um, pretty much, you know, as middle-class, but, you know, middle-class is extremely wealthy, you know, when you compare it to the rest of the world, I, um, 
you know, was a swimmer. I was recruited to swim in college, University of the Pacific, which is a great liberal arts school in California. Was a graphic designer um, because I liked art. You know, I didn't give much thought to the world around me. And honestly, I, I think I was living a pretty um, self-fulfilling, selfish life at that point. You know, I was I was really into swimming and working hard, but at the same time, it was very self-fulfilling. Um, and so I was lucky enough to go abroad. Um, I went on semester at sea, which is an incredible program that lets college students spend a semester traveling the world, basically on a cruise ship. And you take classes on the boat and you stop at different ports and learn about different places. And it was through that experience that I really said, oh my gosh, there is a whole other world out there that I had no idea. And I want to be part of it and I'm not done exploring. So, um, you know, I was also always into social justice issues. Um, so I volunteered after I graduated in Romania with um, a family that had basically moved there to help rescue kids from the government orphanage and take care of them. And uh, that really shaped my purview of, of what I needed to do, which was go to grad school, <laughs> but go to grad school because I needed to really understand poverty in a complex um, way and really figure out what are the intrinsic motivations that help lift people out of poverty. So, so that's, that's the Reader's Digest version. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I'm sure it's been a, uh, a crazy journey, of course, with a lot of different twist and, twists and turns and, and a ton of different eye-opening experiences. It, you mentioned rescuing kids from the orphanages in Romania. You don't, yeah, gover and, uh, government orphanages. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you talk about that experience a little bit? It, sure. It, it almost seems like an oxymoron that you're rescuing kids from the government, you know, that, that goes to, to, that speaks a lot to the state of affairs, uh, in this place. Absolutely. And, you know, and so Ceausescu fell and, um, he was a communist dictator in Romania in 89. And, um, Romania is such a crazy place. And the fact that during, under communism, every woman was supposed uh, under law was supposed to have a minimum of five children. Um, there were certain benefits involved if you had more children. So if you had nine children, I think nine or 11, if you had nine or 11 children, you got a government car. There were all sorts of different, um, benefit packages to the more children you have, the better for our country because we're growing our army. That was the theory. Um, it was fascinating. But if something is wrong with your child, you, because it's communist, the government will take care of them. So just turn your child over to, you know, our rough, our orphanage, you know, supposedly. So, you know, you saw a lot of kids just being kind of dropped off at the doorstep is what, you know, people kind of say. And um, unfortunately, because the economy wasn't strong enough, you um, saw, you know, orphanages that were falling apart. Children were dying. Um, at the Where I was at, there was um, reports that over 100 children a year were dying in these orphanages. Um, they were often kept in cribs that were more like cages to two to kids to a crib. Um, when, you know, I obviously arrived much later than that. And so there was a, you know, the kids were now becoming young adults, um, that had been rescued and taken out of the orphanage. And, um, you know, there were, there was 10 year olds that had to learn how to walk when they rescued these kids because the kids had never left the crib in 10 years. So, um, it's just incredible things. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. It still blows my mind to think, you know, right now in the world, there are people who were basically kept in cribs their entire, you know, for 10 years. 
because nobody, you know, we touched them. No one took care of them. People would just, you know, kind of leave some food there and go. It is just, um, the human capacity of, and the human, you know, just, I have, gosh, it, it broke my heart, but then it also, you know, really shaped my view of, of how strong economies tie into our social and developmental growth and how much we need a strong economy. Um, because what was happening is the kids were dying because the government workers at the orphanage hadn't been paid in months or years. So the government workers started to steal the food so that they can feed their own families. Oh my God. And, and I wanted to ask, I wanted to actually ask you before, um, about overpopulation and kind of your thoughts behind it, because it's a, obviously it's a touchy subject when you're talking about children, but mm. uh, in the natural world, before all of our amazing science that we're so lucky to, to have now, uh, not every child made it. Not every baby made it. And now we have a, a huge, um, it, now we have a huge increase in the number of, of children and mothers that, that do make it um, mm-hmm. to a, a healthy age. Um, but, you know, and with crazy stuff like Rom- a Romanian communist dictator having <laughs> all of these, you know, asking more for, for more people so they can build their, their army. Um, how, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on, on overpopulation? And, and it's, it's crazy and it's, um, yeah, we're, we are saving so many, so many children's lives, but now it becomes... It, because of the way science works, uh, which is great, one of the unintended consequences now is is becoming overpopulation, and and people are multiplying and putting huge strains on economic systems, social systems, uh, the environment. Um, what? Yeah, do you have any any opinions on that? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, I mean, and I I think it actually the data shows us shows us the opposite, right? Like the more an economy is developed, um, the fewer children people end up having. Hmm. So, um, you know, from from my perspective, as as I've seen, um, you know, in my short eight years in international development. Um, of going back to Uganda and Kenya every few months, it's like I, I'm meeting people and, and realizing, wow, like the more people are, the better people are doing, the fewer children they decide to have, which, you know, it, it makes complete sense because the more, the longer you're able to keep that girl in school, the more likelihood she's going to put off marriage and she's going to put off starting a family. So, um, you know, you start to see as, as countries start to develop, they'll start to decrease their, their number of um, children per household. Um, you know, you really start to see, I mean, even if you looked at America and the history of the U S like people had huge families when people were settling in the U S and that's a lot of the, the rationale was like, well, we need a lot of people to work on the farm, you know, like yeah. it made complete, but then as industrial revolution, you know, came along, it was like, oh, well now we have a tractor, you know, but, and that sounds so mundane, you know, that's a poor example, but, um, but it, it's really true. It, it's the more things develop and the more, um, you're able to invest in those, in your, your children, um, the fewer kids you end up having. Cause you, you can kind of breathe and go like, Oh my gosh, my children are going to survive. So let me just take really good care of the children I have. Yeah. And it, it sounds terrible, but we can almost afford to have less children because of the industrial revolution, because you're not all going to have a, a job in the farm. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have 10 kids and you're in Uganda or any of the places that you've mentioned, well, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to find your kids all jobs or for your children to all find themselves jobs uh, wherever you're living than if you had just a couple. And because now it seems that we're putting more, uh, and I'm just kind of um, uh, thinking out loud here, but it seems that we're putting more dollar per children into mm -hmm. it. So you're, you have a more developed economy and you have a more developed, um, you know, social system. And so you're able to put more money per child there as if you had 10, you know, if you had 10 kids, well, there's just less money to go around. There's less food to go around. There's less jobs to go around. Um, and so as, as horrible as it sounds to live in, in China, I wonder if that's what they're thinking is with having only ha allowing one child um, in in that system of, of communism. Um, do you have any? Yeah. Do you have any idea if any of these are? Yeah, are true? it's completely true. I think. I mean, if you just think about it from like an economic perspective, if you're having a lot of children, you're trying to diversify your portfolio. Um, that's your retirement account because you're hoping that one of those ten children survives and thrives so that they can take care of you when you get older. But if you, you know, start to do better on your own and you're taking care of yourself, you can have fewer children because there's the higher likelihood that those child children will survive and that they'll succeed. So, um, you know, that's at least, you know, the perspective wow. that I've been told um, as I meet with, you know, some of the women and, and mothers that, um, you know, I've been meeting with in Uganda who are healthcare workers is that, you know, we don't need to have as many because we know that these kids are going to grow up and, and I can send them to school. Yeah, I mean, it, even in American history, you okay if you had, you might come down with scurvy on the farm. And, and <laughs> yeah. This might not, or, you know, the org. The Oregon Trail. Go, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, uh, you know, you're going to get dysentery along the Oregon Trail, you better have a couple extra kids who can help uh, push the wagon up the big hills. Mm hmm. Wow. That's, yeah. Um, it, it's, so, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to, to think about that. Um, do you see, do you see impact? Um, do you see big differences in environmental factors when you go to, I haven't been to Africa, um, but when you go to these places as they're, of course the, the uh, places are expanding and the economies mm -hmm. are growing bigger and there's more waste and, and uh, negative byproducts, if you will, that are going to pollute the environment, but are you seeing positive changes in, in those spaces as well when it comes to, to protecting the, the fertile soil that these people live off of and the fertile air that we all breathe? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, unfortunately, I'm seeing a little bit of the opposite. Um, you know, Haiti, which is definitely the place you guys should add to your list, is, you know, 90% of Haiti is deforested. Um, it used to be lush forest, tropical and it has become so destitute and dry um, because of these, um, you know, because of logging, basically, and, and importing, you know, we Americans have imported a lot of the, the wood from Haiti. Um, also, people are using um, wood for charcoal because they cook over open fires. So now it's gotten to the point where most of the charcoal is brought in and imported into Haiti from the Domin uh, Dominican Republic. So... Um, Oh it is a God. 
terrible situation where people are spending about 40% of their, their daily income um, or expenses just on uh, charcoal so that they can cook their food. Um, so, you know, there's horrible environmental consequences to people cooking over open fires. Um, you're also seeing that as you look in, in East Africa. Um, I want to say that I think 40% of Uganda has been deforested um, over the last few years, um, you know, primarily because of using these fuels and, and trying to cook food as, as more people, um, you know, as more people grow and as population increases, people are using these, these resources. Um, and what we fail to, we always seem to forget in America that we're all on the same planet. And that's, what's so crazy to me is that, you know, we always say, Oh, well that happens somewhere else. But I think, you know, there needs to become a tipping point when we realize that climate change is really something that's happening to everyone and it affects everyone. So, you know, 3 billion people um, in the world are still cooking all of their food over open fires. And that creates a ton of carbon that is released into the atmosphere. Oh, my God. And, and I heard about the um, uh, about. Haiti and and the Dominican Republic and how they completely developed differently and the Dominican mm -hmm. Republic is a much wealthier country than Haiti is and they were able to develop tourism in their area and do it in a more sustainable way where people go to the Dominican Republic and they like to go into the into the forest into the mm -hmm. into the rainforest into the jungle and uh, see the beautiful beaches and and, and go there and um, in Haiti with, with the deforestation, uh, somebody told me that, you know, what they found out is, oh, I can cut down this tree and uh, make it into charcoal and my kids can live for, for a month is the, the statistic that I heard off of one tree. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they're going to go into the woods and start cutting, cutting down all of the trees. But, um, you know, without the proper education and without the proper... Uh, you know, development, you know, someone in their, in their government controlling this. I mean, they have obviously have so many, so many issues to, to tackle uh, at the same time. But yeah, that's, that's what I had heard about the difference between the Dominican Republic and, and Haiti and why there was so much <clears throat> discrepancy. And someone told me that that's how, that was the, uh, the folly of Easter Island. This is how the whole society was a whole society was just wiped out because they just literally uh uh ate the you know they used they, all the sources yeah, yeah they just used up all their natural resources and that was it and then they totally destroyed the island and had to go somewhere else um it's it's a scary thought and it's scary to think that as a, as a planet as a world mm -hmm. we're not all on the same page about this regardless of like i said earlier what border we drew in the sand well it doesn't really matter we're all affecting each other at this point absolutely absolutely and i think um what's so powerful is just what you're doing is is taking people and giving them those experiences and i think um you and i are of the same kind of millennial generation i believe and and we are seeing that, you know, our generation is much more interested in cultivating meaningful experiences and creating impact than necessarily our, our, our peers above us, you know. And so that's a really great positive sign, you know, is that we're really interested in 
sure, we're interested in giving, but we're also really interested in giving effectively, which is really powerful. And we're also really interested in using our consumer dollars for good, which is really exciting, right? Like it's like we're passionate about traveling the world and seeing things and doing good as opposed to just being consumers. Yeah, and um, I think this is a good way where we can start, where we can start to segue into to wrapping things up, but bringing everything full circle, bringing everything home. Um, and of course, we'll link up the Adventure Project and how can people get involved in, in what you're doing, Becky. But even if people were only going to start, uh, they decided, as the podcast is called, to live different or live differently. Um, how can they start to spend their dollars in the right place? Because uh, every every dollar that you spend is a vote for how you want the world to be. Mm. Where can people start spending their money if they want to go on vacation? Yes, we you know we don't we don't go on mission trips to the, to these places through under thirty experiences. We we go to. Uh, give people an eye-opening experience and to have a cultural exchange and also oh yeah you're going to go surfing and see volcanoes and glaciers and do your bucket list stuff that you and have free time to relax like you would think of for a vacation but yeah you start to to open your mind up to these types of things but even if you can't go on a trip even if you can't or, or think you can't donate right now what are what are some things that people can just start to do in their own lives to, to be a little bit more conscious? Yeah. I mean, I think, so I'm obviously going to say you can go to the adventureproject.org um, and join, you know, just even joining our email list is a first step, right? Figure out, you know, how you can get more involved and, and see about what you can do. Um, you know, if you can't give $30 a month, you can give $35 to help someone in Kenya get a stove and, you know, and just helping a family get a fuel efficient stove is something that, um, you know, is going to create massive impact. It's going to save six trees from being cut down every year because they're saving that much money in charcoal. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lots of different ways on our website that you can give, you can volunteer, you can, um, you know, really think about getting involved. Obviously, you know, all, from our perspective, it's, it's recycling, it's eating the right foods, it's yeah. um, making sure you're not using too much water. You know, there's a lot of things that I think we forget, like, oh, you know, we can make these steps and changes in our own personal lives, but that will have a great global impact as well. So um, there, there's, there's a ton of opportunity in ways, and I think just switching and making a few changes create huge impact. And more importantly, I think where we've really been able to grow is by having people come alongside us and then say, I want to fundraise or I want to tell my friends about what you're doing and just helping to grow the circle and network of people who also believe in giving impactfully. Um, that's a huge help for us is just spreading the message or, or sharing your podcast, right? Like how do we just get more people hearing these messages? And, and if we're all working together for the same common good, we're going to accomplish a lot. No, I, I completely agree. And using our collective social media followings is very, very important because <laughs> you're using your voice. It's like every time I see something online, you know, you, you scroll through your Facebook news feed and yeah, there's a, a lots of negativity, of course, going on. But then there's also the select few people who are using that platform to discuss the issues that they care about and to discuss uh, I, I mean, it's just so, it's wild how connected that we all are now in 
this day and age and how these solutions, you know, you talked about creating scalable systems um, to be able to solve these problems. Well, raising awareness is a huge part of that. And this is what we always tell our travelers uh, with under 30 experiences is how do you, you know, okay, you learned about this stuff and we say it's not what you do on the trip, it's what you do after. How does this trip uh, change you and and what do you do? Um, Mm-hmm. What do you do going forward? And so if you just kind of look at the way things are, are going, we're at a massive global, really in a massive global crisis. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no two ways about it. And, but now we have the technology, we have the tools to be able to spread awareness and to get each other involved and to understand that, you know, they're, making change is, is actually possible. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'll just close with saying that, you know, it's for me, you know, we always say that we want to have it all. Um, but it actually, that's not true. Like we all do need to make sacrifices. Um, you know, for me, mine was a little extreme because I put everything in storage and moved on to friends' couches, (laughs) but, um, you know, we need to sacrifice our time and our, our talents and, you know, even our resources. Um, but it will create a huge global, change, you know? And so I just always think about like, what do I want my grandchildren to know about me? And do they know that I I fought to help humanity, you know, and that it does take, um, it does take sacrifice. We, We can't always have it all, but in giving you learn that that's where you get your greatest joy. Um, and that's, you know, actually gives you a higher high than, you know, being able to buy the latest thing. Um, or follow the Kardashians, you know, <laughs> it's like being, that's, it's really, um, where you end up learning the most about yourself. And i just feel like I have never been so blessed than when I had nothing. And I had so many friends offering to help me, you know, pursue my dream. So cool. So cool, Becky. I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so nice. And I know you have incredible, crazy stories too. And, and you, you know, we share the same ethos about, about what we're doing. So it's always an honor to chat with you and, and catch up. Of course, of course. And uh, can you tell everybody one more time at uh, theadventureproject.org and where else people can get involved? Sure. Adventureproject.org, or you can go to our Instagram or our Facebook page, which is also backslash adventure, the adventure project for both of those. And, you know, just start by following us or liking our pages or, or sharing, um, sharing them with friends. Awesome. Be- Becky, well, I think there's so many synergies. I think hopefully this is going to be one uh, conversation of many going forward. Definitely. Definitely. I'll, I'll, um, I'm keeping my girl interns away from you though. <laughs> Sound, sounds good. <laughs> I can't make any, I can't make any promises, but I'm happy to do what I can. Oh my goodness. Well, it was so great to chat with you and thanks to everyone who's listening and and please come connect with me and learn more. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Becky. Okay. Take care, Matt. Hey, did you enjoy today's episode? If you did, I have a quick favor for you to ask. We are trying to spread the live different mentality, the mission right now. So other people can take advantage of all the stuff that you just got to hear about. If you could go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating. This will help us get on the iTunes new and noteworthy list. And that way, a bunch more people can hear about what we do over here at the Live Different Podcast. So I really appreciate it. If you want to share it, 
please do give it to a friend in need. That is what we want to do, and uh, keep doing good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks.